0: I'll be and Michelle with the Alumni Answers podcast. This is a medium for students out there who want direct advice from the alumni we interview about high school, college, balancing life, etc. Today we have with us Christopher St. Hilaire and he's a current first-year transfer student at Princeton <laughs> University, who was involved in student government, Rotaract, PTK, Model United Nations, etc. during his time at CPCC, and also volunteered at a nonprofit called The Relatives. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday afternoon with us, Chris, and welcome to our podcast.
1: Awesome. It's great to be with you guys.
0: Of course. Um, for starters, could you give a brief background of yourself regarding anything we haven't touched on?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think you guys hit the nail pretty much on the head in regards to my academic journey to Princeton. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything particularly pertinent besides like, you know, the the formalities, just kind of where I'm from and those kinds of things that we haven't really covered. But besides that, everything's been pretty, pretty much touched on.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, thank you. So we've got a lot of questions we would love to get your insight on. So we're just going to jump right into it. First, we wanted to talk to you about how you got into an Ivy League school. That is something that very few are able to achieve, especially as transfer students. And the year you were accepted, the transfer acceptance rate, I think it was only 0.91%. So only 13 students were accepted. First, what were your emo- What are your emotions now getting into Princeton? How do you feel?
1: Um, I mean, so I've been asked this question in a variety of different ways, I think, over the course of the last eight months. and. Um, I'm, it's, you know, it's like, I'm in perpetual, I'm in like a perpetual state of euphoria. It's like a con, it's like this weird, strange dream that someone's playing a really, really bad trick on me. Um, and someone seriously needs to pinch me in order to wake for, in order for me to wake up. Um, it really is like, it, it really is a dream. You know, I, I, I never thought I had a chance of actually being accepted. Um, I applied because you know, it was obviously it's an incredible institution. Mm-hmm. It's as an aesthetically pleasing, let's put it that way, campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and there are other reasons that it was just I felt that it was the right place for me. Um, but w- despite all that, I mean, of course, you know, looming, looming kind of above in the ether is just low acceptance rate. So it's just like uh, it's probably not going to happen. But who knows? Um, so yeah, like the fact that it actually, you know, the fact that my dream kind of met me in waking life is. Um, it's a little it's a little surreal
0: yeah definitely so what are your um out of all mm-hmm. the options why did you choose princeton and what did it have to opt- offer you specifically
1: um so this is kind of a cliche but princeton's unofficial motto is very very much resonated with me service i think is an integral component to who i am as an individual mm-hmm. um and i think that alongside the alongside the philosophy department in particular there's an instructor named alexander nahamas who's a um who's a prolific nietzschean if we could put it that way he's a he's um he has he has an expertise in nietzschean philosophy that i found particularly attracted to mm-hmm. that i was particularly attracted to mm-hmm. uh, so that those two are those two reasons are principally why i kind of applied to princeton um just because i couldn't i couldn't necessarily find someone as ensconced in Nietzschean philosophy anywhere particularly else at an elite institution. And also just because Princeton seems to have this incessant um, commitment to service and believes that service should be at the foundation of how students kind of orient themselves after they graduate. And that that was particularly attractive to me just because that's kind of how I molded myself at Central Piedmont.
2: All right, so um, you mentioned that Princeton's philosophy was service and, or involved service and you also wanted to, I think you wanted to study philosophy, I think. So yeah. what do you think made you stand out in those, in those
1: categories for Princeton? Yeah, um, so some of this, I guess the first component to this kind of touches on my story. So I'm a high school dropout and I, around in the year 2015, I'd get my GED and so years later, fast forwarding, um, I kind of wanted to pay it forward in some way. so when I got involved with the relatives, I actually got on board as a GED instructor and I taught young black um, homeless um, youths um, just kind of like, I taught young black youths just how to kind of uplift themselves, empower themselves and give themselves agency. One of the ways was, one of the ways I I did that was through kind of instructing on the GED, so it was, that was particularly relevant to me personally, The other component to that um, was, I don't want to lose my train of thought, but was just how related to, kind of also related to meaningful service, if that makes sense, so, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah, so I mean, it's those those really, it's those kind of two, it's meaningful service and how that one particular extracurricular is related, um, related to that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, so we're, going, we're actually going to touch on the relatives a bit later. But before you began pursuing higher education, you were working at uh, the Ballantyne Country Club, if I'm not wrong, as a server. So how did you go from being a server to attending community college and then to going off to Princeton? And what was your mindset?
1: Right. Um, so I, it was a couple of years after I got my GED. I want to say about a year or two. two after when I started working at the Valentine Country Club and it took me a minute but at that point in my life in particular I had I was really really I started picking up philosophy as a hobby as an interest um, just something I was doing at home and that's when I kind of read a few books by Nietzsche and in particular um, and I started getting really really interested in um, old European art. Um, and there is a painting in particular I am thinking about um, by Caspar David Frederick, A Wander Above a Sea of Fog. It's a very famous romantic painting, but that painting moved me in such a way that I kind of wanted to emulate Mm -hmm. the the painting itself, the content of the painting itself. Um, And so what I did was that in the year 2018, on New Year's Day, I kind of drove to um, this little pastoral town outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and kind of went up this mountain, so to speak, to emulate the content of that particular painting by david by casper david friedrich um and it it moved me in such a way that i still have difficulty kind of articulating but i think if i were to put words to the experience i would say it made me feel small and large at the same time it it, it, it's like when you're staring into the world right the world is telling you to do something like it's it it was almost like a dare like find something to lift Mm -hmm. find something heavy or challenging to really 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 to really push yourself. And I think meaning kind of comes as a byproduct of that. And so when I came back to Charlotte after that experience, I I, I kind of, I kind of wanted, I I don't know exactly how to put this, but I, I, there was like a fire, like a flame was ignited like beneath me and I, I just did everything and all that I could to kind of make connections. I realized, I recognized that I was in a place where there were lots of people who were well-to-do, quote-unquote, and very successful, and have, and some of them have gone to really prestigious schools or are, doing really, are, are part of really prestigious careers. And if I wanted to make something of myself to kind of make this pivot, uh, or to facilitate this pivot, um, I would need to start kind of being a little bit more deliberate in how I had my conversations with them. Um, and eventually that led me to a gentleman named Chris Floyd, um, who had a track record of mentoring Black youths um, who kind of came from disadvantaged um, backgrounds and him and I just kind of, you know, I, I approached him one day out of the blue and um, I struck a conversation with him. I kind of told him bits of my story and he was intrigued enough to where he said, OK, well, let's schedule a sit down two weeks out and see and see what we can go from there. And our, that that moment, that, that transient moment kind of turned into this now two-and-a-half-year-long relationship with this man that again who, who's devoted a piece of his life and his time to me there's this random kid that approached him out of nowhere mm-hmm. um, so yes definitely um, Chris Floyd is an integral piece to kind of this transition in my mindset I mean my flame was ignited but I, I wasn't sure how to channel that energy and how to mm-hmm. channel, and channel this new this new growth or this new goal-oriented um, mindset that i had and he kind of helped me aim myself at something he kind of n- windowed the field if that if that makes sense to the things that were more viable and to the things i should perhaps concentrate on it. so
2: wow that's definitely going to be very inspiring to so many students so would you say when you met chris floyd was a turning point in your life when you decided to pursue an ivy league
1: university absolutely um so i mean I would say prior to prior to meeting Chris, my my intention was to do something in finance, um, and I didn't know exactly how to get there. Um, my inclination was okay. I probably need to go back to community college. That's where I need to go. I need to go back to school, so I need to go to community college. Um, and my my highest aim was to perhaps get into Chapel Hill, um, and that was a long shot. That was a that was a dream. I mean. Um, but after a few sessions, not even maybe not even a third session of Chris, he started saying, well, Christopher, I think you have the potential to succeed um, at an elite institution. And Chris Floyd himself had went to the University of Pennsylvania for undergrad and then went to Harvard Business School. Um, and based on what he's told me, and, and, and based on what he's told me, he, he, he thought it was in his estimation that I could not just matriculate to an Ivy League institution, but thrive there. I and mean, I, I didn't necessarily believe that in myself. It took a little bit of shifting in my self concept, but he facilitated that, and I started to recognize that. Well, maybe you might be right. Maybe, maybe it's something I should pursue. Something I should look at.
0: Um, to sum up, what advice would you give to anyone who aspires to get into top school?
1: Yes. Um, so I think my I think the one thing in particular I would say, and it's it's kind of cliche as well, but it's incredibly true, um, is to be authentic. Um, like you know, sharpen yourself up, figure out what it is that you're good at, right? But you also love, and it's really difficult to kind of find, to kind of find, a, strike a balance between those two. Because often the things that you really, really love are not necessarily what you're good at, but, and also are um, those things that are really, really niche. And th- but those can play to your advantage. Um, but really sharpen yourself up, find something that is meaningful, pursue it and do it authentically and then tell that story authentically. I think that would be the biggest piece of advice that I have. OK,
2: thank you. So besides, um, they're not just talking about top universities, but we wanted to talk specifically about extracurriculars. Um, I think a lot of students probably stress more about this than anything. So we wanted to get a glimpse of your impact with some of the clubs you're in while you were which one would you say made the greatest impact on you or that you had the greatest impact on and why?
1: Oh, definitely the former. Um, so getting involved at central Piedmont, which is essentially getting involved with student life, um, really made the community college experience worthwhile for me personally. I mean, it's so easy when you're going to a community college to make it a commuter school where you just go, you, you go to the school, go to classes and then go home, but kind of, being involved and participating in this community really solidified not just the idea of service for me personally, but also the idea that cooperating with people, at least in this environment and in this instance, makes your experience 10 times, 100 times better. Um, so I would say that the things that I got involved in, such as student government, Rotaract and PTK, were well were more of a consequence because I was involved um, and not, I didn't necessarily pursue those things in and of themselves. I pursued them as a consequence of being a part of this community, um, that was very much, um, very much supportive, very much acted as a bedrock of collaborate, acted as a bedrock for collaboration and empowerment.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, how did you build up the reputation of being able to lead in some of your things?
1: Um, so I would say that I was present and active, um, I think in those, I think in those two ways, and this, I think the community college experience and the high school experience is, I think, particularly stark here, because um, lots of high school students are, especially if they're ambitious, um, they're probably going to be active in everything and anything. At community college, there is a there is a lack of ambition, um, for better or worse, and I think because of that, the people who want to be involved and the people who are present are more likely. To kind of be able to clinch to these particular positions within these clubs, like say vice president or president. Um, and I think that obviously, you know, I was able to kind of I was there, I became involved, um, I participated in the community, um, and that kind of made me an active and present um voice. So
2: so as you were active in these extracurriculars, do you think they helped you find your interests, or did you speak extracurriculars that conformed
1: mm-hmm. to your interests? I would say that I, I sought out extracurriculars that conformed to my to my interests. I was always I was always a service service was always uh, service was always in the back of my mind um in finding ways to make the experience better for other students, especially other students that were on the outskirts of society, let's say, that were kind of like in their own little underworld. Um, and we're desperately trying to climb out of it. those are the people I was really, really concerned about. So one of the re- that's one of the reasons why I was so involved with Rooract, for instance, because that is the community service club at Central Piedmont Community College. Um, and also involved in the relatives because again, those those two clubs in particular um, had service as sac- had service as sacros- sacrosanct and were at the bedrock of their institution. Um, so yeah.
0: And we were curious. What was a typical day like you, um, for you, balancing extracurriculars and school?
1: Um. So I would say you know, it, it wasn't incredibly stressful. Um. I think I did. I think I did better than some at managing my time. Um. But it was. It, there are moments where it was pretty hectic and overwhelming. I wouldn't, nothing about it in particular stands out to me. So I'm I'm guessing that's a testament to how, I'm guessing that's a testament to how, how it wasn't that straining, if that makes sense. Like I have a feeling if it was really, if I found it incredibly difficult, um, it would have been something that was, it would have something that would occupy my mind all the time. But I want to say that I did a pretty, I did a pretty decent job at balancing my extracurricular commitments, my schoolwork, um and any and all of the personal commitments that I had outside of school
0: and to add on to that um many students out there um stress so much about this and they pile like they go overboard on doing so many clubs because they think it's necessary to impress colleges so what would you say to give like advice to them or any insight on
1: yeah um so I definitely I definitely would say kind of parse um parts away with all of the extracurriculars that are not necessarily meaningful to you. Like if you are taking those ECs on to pad your resume and in your own imagination you think they'll impress colleges, I think that might be a mistake to a degree. I mean again I'm not ensconced within that high school atmosphere or environment so I'm not necessarily, I don't want to necessarily say something I don't quite understand. But speaking from speaking from my experience, I would say that If you pick the right extracurriculars that you're particularly passionate about and are relevant to you personally, I think those extracurricular activities will do you more justice than the ones that um, are chosen just to pad your resume.
2: So I think I can imply that you are very passionate about service, especially with the Rotaract Club and the relatives. Did you ever prioritize them above your schoolwork or grades?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I found interesting ways to make the two work. So as I said, with the relatives, I was a, I was a GD instructor. So effectively, I was a teacher, which still kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, but I was a teacher. And one of the things that I did was that I would bring my some of my students um, to the community college and just while like I would take moments to kind of study and prioritize my work, for instance, and then carve out some time for my students and I could work together um, and Obviously, work on the things that they need to work on. So I, I think I found novel avenues to kind of make the two work in symbiosis. Um, so, yeah, I would say I I would say that more or less I prioritized my grades my coursework over them over my extracurriculars. But well, I, I found interesting ways to make the two work. I mean, a lot of it has to do with managing your time effectively. Um, kind of you know having a little bit of creativity and ingenuity to to, to you know um I guess bring the two together if that makes sense mm-hmm. so one doesn't kind of over, one doesn't burden the other um so I, I kind of did a mixture of those two things
0: so how do you think your extravicular made you stand out like specifically for your college apps
1: right um so I, I I mean again I'm kind of shooting darts uh I'm shooting darts in the dark here but i would say that the relatives in particular had a lasting impression just because it spoke not only did it speak to my story personally but it was a, it was a it was the kind of service that had tangible consequences tangible consequences for people directly so in other words if i put it differently um coming in as a young black man with a ged and teaching other young black people but it was all, it was all kinds of people but particularly young black people with with no high school diplomas. Um, I think that in particular was a standout point because it was clear it was clear it was clear that I had prior experience in this endeavor that these other individuals were about to embark on and that I could potentially add some insightful value for them, if that makes sense. And I also took that opportunity not just to teach them the GD construction, GD components, but also to find to also kind of incorporate a life philosophy that helped them also ignite their own flames and find and I guess shift, their, shift the perspectives that they once had about themselves, right? So for me, when I, when I would teach people, I was really focused on agency, that you had control, that you can curate your own destiny, that you can carve out your own path, right? That despite where you are right now, there is, if you did X, Y, and Z, and you attended to those things diligently and fruitfully and meaningfully, that it could potentially pan out in the way that you think it will, the best way possible
2: so in general what advice would you give to anyone doubting their passions will get them anywhere or if it's worth the time and trouble
1: um let's see i would say that if whatever someone's passionate about if they happen and this is kind of i'm kind of speaking on a pragmatic I'm kind of using a pragmatic perspective here. But if I would say if you're passionate about something and you're also really, really good at it, I, I would say that the benefits will kind of bear fruit. I, I don't think I think if you are good at something and you also and you also absolutely love it, it will it will it, it will benefit you and probably benefit the people around you in some way. Um, so I, I think just kind of, you know, put dig your heels in, persevere. Um, it will it will get better if if that if that's solid advice.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, So we wanted to go a little further into college apps, if you don't mind. As a high school sophomore, um, I find myself already thinking about it like every day. And this is something many high schoolers can relate to and they're uncertain about as well. So we don't really know where to look for answers. And I kind of want to know, when did it come to your mind to apply to Princeton?
1: Right. Um, So my last last year, despite everything with me and my mentor, I actually was really fixated on UNC. Um, so I was I was very much invested in Carolina. Um, Chapel Hill was the place I was was going to go until my last year at community college when I started to think a little bit more broadly and bigger. Um, at first it was the University of Pennsylvania but I, I kind of shifted and I, I kind of and I'm not sure exactly how it happened but at one moment or the other before September I kind of discovered that Princeton had a transfer program and I, I was under the op- I was operating under the assumption that they didn't have a that they didn't have a transfer program that they still had this moratorium on transfer students mm-hmm. um but you no know, I, I found out and so i literally i think two weeks later i purchased tickets to new jersey to fly out and tour the school um and during my during my during my tour during my info session i was very active um i you know i had a conversation with one of the admin um the admission officers and he gave me his card and i followed up later on and i kind of established a connection with him um, going forward um, when I, and when I say that, just kind of, you know, asking questions regarding the transfer process, um, regarding little things here and there, because it's still, again, it, for Princeton anyway, it was such a novel program. It wasn't something, so they understood if people were very, very com- confused about certain elements of it. Um, so I kind of stayed in touch with him, but I, I, you know, I demonstrated an interest, I think, you know, I demonstrated an interest that I think was, um, I think played very well for me. I mean, Princeton, it, again, Princeton just... Removing the fact that it's an elite institution had particular things about it that I I, I really really genuinely liked. Obviously the service component, obviously the philosophy department, um, but it was more than that. It was it was their undergraduate there was it was an undergraduate emphasis. Um, their focus on study their focus on undergraduate study abroad programs and related to service in and of itself. Um, all of those things I found interesting ways to kind of articulate in my application.
2: All right. So you did talk about uh, wanting to go to UNC and possibly UPenn before. So, what mattered to you most when you were deciding about what colleges to apply and attend to?
1: Right. Um, so this is this is something I'm actually still kind of um, struggling in my own imagination to to figure out. And that's you know to what degree that I want to what degree do I want to pursue finance and to what degree do I want to pursue philosophy? Um, so I was interested in Chapel Hill. And UPenn, UPenn obviously for their business program. Um, just because I saw them as vehicles, um, I saw them as vehicles of getting getting me into a finance, a decent finance career. Um, Princeton, I think in an interesting way, was a little bit beyond that. It kind of transcended that. I Princeton, I fell in love with Princeton because of their philosophy department, and I've cho- clearly, I, I think, I, I've chosen to f- pursue philosophy more than finance. And so I think to answer your question, I said I was interested in Carolina and UPenn insofar that they had amazing business programs and that business program served as a pipeline um, um, into finance careers, while Princeton was, you know, was not, obviously it doesn't happen in the graduate business school, but had an emphasis on, had a, had a great philosophy department that I was really, really attracted to.
0: So going a little off topic the steps for um, transfer applications are not really identical to steps for regular admissions so we wanted to know if you could describe some of the important steps you had to take or um, to apply um
1: i think as as a piece of advice i definitely would say you know contact the admissions office um reach out ask questions um i would say that i would say that i guess one thing about the transfer application that is particularly distinct is the fact that we are a little bit older, we're coming from community colleges, we might have multiple transcripts that we have to upload. Um, I I would just, I would try to be in constant, I say constant contact, not incessant contact, but, you know, an an intentional contact with the admissions office, because they understand that the transfer process is, it's a little bit niche, it's a little bit underground, so to speak, and it's not as well known. So there may be, there may be unique, there may be questions that are uniquely applicable to transfer students that are not necessarily answered on their website, uh, and they understand that.
2: All right, so when you applied, did you know what the most important things colleges considered were? Or what, now looking back, what do you think they considered most?
1: Right, um, that's that's a great question. Um, I would say that, OK, so the first thing I would say is that elite institutions care both about quantitative metrics and qualitative metrics. I think that's, I mean, obviously that's undeniable. They, they obviously care about your SAT and ACT scores, but I, you know, kind of going into it. I, I also recognize that there is a quality, the qualitative, the qualitative facet is a little bit more murky and it really is kind of, it is really the dimension of the application that you can really mold and forge to look however you wish it to look. And so with that in mind, I would say that the, the story, um, whatever story that you're going to tell them, the admissions officers, make it compelling and make it personal and meaningful. If the story is authentic and powerful, it, it, it will transcend all quantitative metrics. Quantitative metrics are important, but they I think a really great story, a great narrative will triumph, will trump any any quantitative metric. And so with that said, I think in retrospect, looking back, for me, I would say my spike, because I know that's a term that's kind of flown around in elite um, Elites um, college admissions. My spike was humanities. Everything about my application spoke to my passion about the humanities. Whether that be music, whether that be poetry, whether that be art, whether that be philosophy in and of itself. Everything that I articulated had an emphasis in the humanities or touched the humanities in some way. And also, um, understand the school that you're applying to. What's what's what are the principles that are sacrosanct to that to, to that institution? Princeton's obviously service. Princeton cares cares deeply about service. And for me, my application was, I mean, there were hints of service um, at at, at every corner of the application. Um, My story, my story, and then how I leveraged my story before going to Princeton to help other people who are just like me change their lives. I mean, that was the same, like the entire application under undergirding the entire application was this devotion to service. So I would say, understand the institution that you're applying to um i would say emphasize the story that you want to tell because the story is paramount it's the most important thing you can do in your application regardless if you're a community college student a high school student or or a veteran it's the most important thing you can do and also you know when when it comes to quantitative metrics do as do as well as you can um that's why i say don't stress too much about it but do as well as you can
0: Mm -hmm. um going in the opposite direction what is something you would avoid or recommend people to avoid when applying for colleges
1: Hmm. obviously something we already touched on is padding your resume with things that are are just there to make your resume look impressive and again that matters to a degree it depends on what it is there's there are some things that are certainly impressive and you should you should absolutely absolutely pursue those things but um i would say I guess, and I, I, I don't, I, I want, I'm not entirely sure if I want to say this, but I would say a level of humility and, and gratitude, and be grateful um, about certain things that you're articulating within your application. In my application, I actually, and I don't know if I don't know if I should disclose this, but um, because Princeton's transfer transfer program is so small, so few students are accepted, it's very very personal and individualized, and we we all kind of receive if we ask we receive a little bit of feedback based on it and one of the things that i received as feedback was how authentic my application was so try your best to not seem inauthentic and i think that's easy if you're just telling the truth you know just do the thing do things that you're passionate about do things that you know are personal and meaningful meaningful to you don't and i guess in some sense when you're telling that story demonstrate a degree of humility and great and gratitude and i think i think if you do, if you do the antithesis, you're in trouble. If you do those things, you're fine.
2: All right. So we're going to dive a little deeper into the application essay because this is a critical part of going to college, as it reflects character, and as you said, it can actually help um, show your humility and authenticity. But usually, the prompts are really broad, and many high school students are uncertain about what direction they should write in. So what was besides, so we know that it was being authentic and um, demonstrating humility in your essay. So how were you able to bring
1: that out? Right. Um, huh. So for me, my personal statement was essentially about slaying a dragon. Um, And the way I, the way I, I kind of analogized that to um, to getting my GED, and it was a reflection on this particular painting by Peter Paul Rubin, um, St. George and the Dragon, which is also one of my favorite paintings. Um, so I guess what I would say is, it's very true. Pick, pick a particular, pick a singular moment in your life, something that's incredibly, um, incredibly powerful to who you are as an individual, and kind of hone in, not, hone in on that singular moment. But when you're doing that, find a really unique way of telling that story. I think And I've read, I mean, me, I have a friend who's at Cornell right now, and we both went to the same community college. Um, We both, we we would read, we would read, you know, successful college admission essays all the time. And that was the one thing we were able, That the one piece of, um, one piece of wisdom we were able to kind of pull out from every single essay was that they all focused on a singular event. They all told that event in a very unique way. Um, And then... And kind of, end. and the way they concluded that story was that they triumphed in some way. So essentially it was like an obstacle and they overcame that obstacle in some way and they demonstrated that in the conclusion of their essay that okay, because of this event happening, I'm a different person, I'm a better person or I'm a stronger person, something like that. So kind of have that mindset when you're right I, because I under, completely understand that some of the um, essay prompts are very very broad and I think they're broad intent intentionally because they they really in some way they showcase how how your imagination works, you know, like, how exactly how you're going to tell your story. Um, and so I guess I would say find something that was find a singular moment in your life that's really, really powerful, really, really pertinent to you really, really powerful for you. Um, find an interesting way to tell that event right to delineate that event. Um, and do it in an authentic meaningful way that showcases how you are better because of that event or you're stronger because of that event something like that.
2: Yeah, so I've actually heard that it's been compared to writing like in the form of a hero's journey. Would you base yeah. like that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I would 100% agree with that. Um not just because my personal statement is essentially about a hero, but because you know, my when I'm thinking thinking over my personal statement, it was it, there was a clear defining moment where my life changed right me slaying this dragon is what transformed my life my life was never the same and i, I mentioned that and i mentioned how every moment afterwards sets a new precedent that everything i do now is new not just for me but my family um it's absolutely a hero's journey i think that's something i think that's something high school um should think about think about taking on something that's incredibly difficult You know okay there's a dragon in front of me let's say that dragon represents an obstacle or chaos or destruction whatever it is and i have to defeat it right as silly as that sounds like it's the difficult thing that if you if you put yourself up to the challenge and you overcome it you're stronger than it because you're anti-fragile right and so demonstrating that anti-fragility demonstrating that um demonstrating that willing willingness to step up to a challenge i think does wonders i think I think demonstrates your your um, your ability to be a hero. And I think that impresses the admissions officers.
2: That was really good advice. But um, you also talked about how you read other college essays before. So we were just curious, besides reading other college essays, did you also read any books or literature that helped you in your essays?
1: Yes. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it might be. I think it might be somewhat self-evident based on this interview. But I'm a huge fan of philosophy. I've read a lot of philosophy, particularly by Nietzsche. Um, I've read Beyond Good and Evil by Nietzsche, the Sustra, which are really great books. Um, Ernest Becker's The Denial of Death, which is a book I mentioned in my application as well, which talks about heroism, talks about um, overcoming existential angst. Um, but to answer your question, yes, there was I've read a decent amount of literature. I have a huge affinity for old European art, particularly broken romantic, romantic paintings in the romantic period. Um so literature, art or have definitely influenced the way I think about the world and they influence the way I approach the application process.
0: Very interesting. So let's discuss a little about um college life. You already covered a lot in talking about your extracurriculars and admissions. So I wanna focus a little on courses and life. So how did you determine your majors and how many you would take?
1: Right. Um and I'm I'm assuming you're speaking to my current experience at yes. Princeton, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so yeah, the course load is the course load is different. It's it's much more it's obviously a lot more rigorous. Um, um, I think I think one thing that's doing. I think one thing that has served me well is the fact that I am coming in with prior writing experience. I think that helps me. Um, I and I'm strictly comparing myself to just some of the other undergraduate students who are typical undergraduate students here. Um, that gives me a slight l- advantage, but not much of one. Um, I think the I think the things that are helping me out right now is that I've definitely had to force myself into be much. I had to force myself to be in a schedule. Um, I, I had to sleep in. When i say sleep in sleep early go to sleep a little bit earlier um, than i typically do um i definitely had to craft a schedule that i have to stick to um i have to manage my time a little bit more minutely than i would have at my community college i would say that i would say that yeah those two things are still important but amplified
2: okay so you talked about um having to go to sleep early and having a more rigorous course loop but what were the other hard adjustments you had to make going into college? Whether it was from CPCC's Princeton or from high school
1: to CPCC. Ooh, um, so for my so high school, I, I spent a few months there before dropping out. Um, CPCC, I, I guess the, the obviously the, the the biggest distinction is the fact that Princeton is not a commuter school. Um, I would drive to classes um, when I was at community college. Um, here, it's you know I'm living in a dorm. Um, uh i'm i'm dining in a dining hall so i think there i think there's i think as, it's, it's different in so the as there's the typical college life versus the typical community college life um, which are two very different things because prince is obviously a resident a residential institution and a community community college are often not um so i think that is a point of distinction i think another point of distinction is the rigor is how you manage your time um and i think you just do a differently, like you have to be really, really deliberate about your time. I, I'm thinking <laughs> there's another um, student here um, who really gave me some solid advice. And it's very true of every, Princeton student as soon as now I would imagine every elite institution, um, as soon as you enter that institution, you're busy. Like as soon as the semester starts, you're incredibly busy. Um, and I, I thought that was somewhat hyperbolic and inflated. But it's very, very true. Like every moment, every day, there's there are things you got, there are things you have to things you have to or should be doing, let's put it that way. Um, so it, time management is king. It's incredibly important. I think you have to be very, very punctilious about how you go about crafting your day um, because it, it can easily creep up on you. And before you know it, the rigor kind of subsumes you and you're lost and you're anxious and you're kind of fretful and you're trying to figure out exactly how you're going to catch up. All those, that, that's something that plagues a lot of students here. And I think it's just really a consequence of just kind of Deferring things off to the last minute, which I do sometimes, everyone does, and it's there are there are there are sessions here at Princeton that talk about procrastination, how to transcend procrastination, and tips to kind of combat procrastination because it's a, it's a I guess it's a fundamental feature of of human nature, and we're all just trying to figure out how best we can kind of mitigate its nasty effects. Let's yeah. put it that way.
0: Yeah. So, going off of that, what were your priorities at CPCC? Are they are they the same for Princeton?
1: Um. Yeah, I, I mean, at CPCC, I was very interested in establishing connections, making connections, um, and when I say connections, friendships, um, you know, being involved, participating, being active, present, not kind of letting the day go by, not being like a passive observer of 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 my academic journey. Um, so at Princeton, I'm, I'm still doing the same. I've made sure. I think the one thing I will say that is different is that I just I haven't. Piled on the extracurriculars like I did at CP. When I was at Central Piedmont, I, I kind of joined everything and anything I, and I, I actually tried to do that before I was a student. Um, and one of the student life coordinators, Jennifer Conway, she told me like, you you can't. It's like you can't get involved in SGA or any of these things because Christopher, you're not a student yet. So yeah. it, I thought that's it's just hilarious. Um, but you want that energy. You just want to make sure you're channeling it appropriately. I guess given my experience having done that having jumped into a thousand different things and a thousand different commitments at Princeton I I've, I've kind of been able to reduce that desire um I'm still a part of a few things and I absolutely want to be a part of a few more things but um, there I found I found a nice balance
2: right so earlier you talked about the course loader the rigor seeming almost hyperbolic uh, for people who haven't experienced it. What's something else that high school students typically don't realize about college?
1: I think it's, I would say that in college, actually, you know, it depends on the college, but at Princeton in particular, it's, we're a competitive institution. Pe- students are competitive in the sense that they're ambitious, um, but we're also, it's such a collaborative environment. Um, that's actually, that's been a part of the academic culture shock for me. I mean, because there's this, there's this, obviously elite institutions, obviously, institutions have this stereotype that all the students are cutthroat, you know, the only thing they care about is being on top. It's actually, I would say more, I mean, you have those people here, but more or less, it's not, it's not an accurate picture of what the student body is like. I mean, there is such a collaborative spirit here at Princeton, and I I would, I would even dare extend it out to other institutions too, other Ivy League institutions. Like everyone wants to work together. Everyone is kind of like, um, I don't know what the, I don't know what my professor's talking about. I'm so lost. Um, How do we do this? Like everyone, there are people like that. We're all trying to, we're all in the trenches together and we're all trying to figure out exactly how to best navigate this very, very rigorous curriculum.
2: All right. So we've talked a lot about. Like your life experiences and your accomplishments, but we also wanted to know what it took and how you were able to manage all of these while keeping your mental and physical health in check. So, when you realized you had given yourself too many commitments, how did you determine what to give up?
1: Right. That's that was. I would say that was a that's a great question, and that's something I was struggling with in particular at community college because there were some there were some things I did not want to give up. There were some things I saw so much value in, um, and I didn't want to step away. But in retrospect, I'm I'm very very grateful that I came to the realization that I needed to step away. So one, of the, I'll just paint a quick I'll, I'll paint a quick scenario. Um, at my community college, I was involved in student government. But my latter year in, at um, CP, I decided to kind of take a step back and put more emphasis. In more emphasis in the relatives. Now that was a strategic move, obviously, because the relatives were so much more meaningful and was related to my story. And I started recognizing the schools that I wanted to apply to. So it was a strategic move, but it was also an area in which I—I I, this is not necessarily phrasing it the best way—but I—I was—I felt, I felt that I was doing more at the relatives than I was at than I was as a member of student government. And being a member of student government is. Um, an excellent way to give back to the student body it's an excellent way of contributing to the student life, the, the campus to the campus life or community college life um, but for me I wanted to put a greater I wanted at least for my application and myself because it's where I found I found that I found a sense I I, I don't know I became I, in my own imagination I became responsible for some of the students I had. their success was my success and I kind of geared towards the relatives because i thought well if i am able to transform these people's lives right i don't i'm gonna i don't know why but i'm gonna get a sense of happiness from that i'm gonna get a sense of meaning from that well you know my my work here has tangible meaning because the things that I'm doing are clearly making these people better are empowering these people and why wouldn't why would I give that up and so I recognized to put more emphasis there and took and probably de emphasize my involvement in SGA so basically what I would say is if you're a high school student and you have like I don't know 50 clubs that might be kind of might be a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you have that many clubs I think you really need to think about which clubs and it's kind of it kind of reels back into our conversation about what you're passionate about, what you're passionate about. Um, think about the clubs that you're really, really passionate about. Think about the think about the places where you're really passionate about and you're also good at it, or for whatever reason you tend to do good in it, like whatever that is, right? Just focus in that because you're gonna you're going to contribute more, you're going to do more, more good things are going to just kind of spill out as a consequence of being a part of those things. I, I, it's hard to articulate because I'm not quite sure why and how it happens. If you do what you're passionate about and you're also good at it, those two things magically happen to align, stick with it. It's going to pan out the way you want it to. I guess I would say, um, and this is speaking really generally, but anxiety, being anxious, being stressed out, about the process about the application process about high school in general even about community college and then even in college um, I think there are people I would and I think that's something we all kind of experience to a degree I would say that there are people out there that are are there to support you and I think reach out to people reach out to people in your life that you know are good people that you know want the best for you um, and tell them what you're going through, and tell them that this is a lot. How how should I navigate this? Even just ranting is great, you know. Like I have friends that just come to me and rant about what's going on, and they feel so much better afterwards. I've done the same thing. It Has ranting has this, you know, this strange cathartic effect. Um, and I, I think that's I think that's a great way for people to channel their frustration, to channel their anxieties. And again, find someone, find a point of contact that you're you you you're really close to that person, and you trust that person and you know speak to your insecurities speak give, give voice to your insecurities give voice to your anxiety have it be out there have a conversation about it and then face it forthrightly if that makes sense like whatever it is that you're anxious about you know just you know stand up straight face it forthrightly contend with it um afterwards you know um afterwards you'll be afterwards you may be stronger for it if you do it that way
0: mm-hmm. and going off of that what would you say was one of your um, proudest moments in your educational journey mm-hmm.
1: Oh, definitely getting my, um, definitely getting my GED. Um, I mean, it took me a while after I got it, but that was a turning point in my life. I mean, just, I mean, I want, there was, there are two movies in particular I'm thinking about, but one is I watched Midnight in Paris, um, and Limitless, and those two movies just kind of, for whatever reason, just told, like, that, and I started getting into art, not necessarily philosophy just yet, but getting into art. Um, I just was like I have to do something with my life like I can't just be here kind of wasting away playing video games till 4 in the morning but that wasn't that wasn't meaningful for me you know and I wasn't being productive and I, I, I didn't feel right with myself like my whole world wasn't aligned like something was off um so yeah, getting, getting my GED was a turning point in my life
2: okay so this brings us to our last round of questions it's our lightning round so we want you to include them as fast as possible okay. are you more of a multitasker or do you stay focused on one thing at a time
1: i stay focused on one thing at a time
2: are you more spontaneous and flexible or do you follow a strict schedule
1: i follow a strict schedule
2: okay how do you whenever you felt like giving up how did you get yourself motivated again
1: oh um so i have there's this poem that i've memorized it's um if by rudy R. Kipling. i recite that from memory
0: and how do you schedule your time to complete and do well in everything in high school?
1: So there's this really neat app um, that I use called Notion and i using it to kind of organize um, all of my to-dos.
0: And how do you give yourself time to rest and refresh?
1: Um, so this is, this is only possible if you have a car. Um, I find driving very, very therapeutic. I sometimes go on a day trip um, and I, I do that just on my, on my own just for self-reflection. Um, and I find that that kind of, especially if I'm feeling particularly nervous about something or anxious about something, I will do that to kind of bring myself back to earth.
2: Okay. Thank you, Chris. So wrapping up, we just wanted to know some of your final words of advice or anything you wish someone had told you when you were going through this process.
1: Um, I think. I would say be deliberate about who you are as a person you know think about when you're when you're writing that essay and when you're thinking about your college application think about who you are and 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 even think about who you wish to become i think those questions are very very important to kind of use you don't have to have a definitive answer but to kind of shuffle about in your imagination think about well who do i want to be in 10 years what are what do i want people to say about me in 10 years um and i think if you i think try to craft a story that matches that desire right think about think about what story will be told about you 10 20 30 years out and try to reel all that back in it's a lot but that's why you don't need a definitive answer reel all that back in and put it into words in that one singular moment so who do you who are you and who do you wish to be i think is the last my lasting pieces of advice
2: all right thank you so much chris we had a wonderful time with you today And thank you to everyone who's going to tune in to our first episode. Be sure to check out Chris's interview on our website, and we'll keep you guys updated on our next post. Thanks, guys.